0: Unidentified vessel. Please submit your clearance code. I can bring an alarm. Or I can bring you a This is Justin. The Force will be with you. This is Josh. Always, always. This is Kyle. And we are the Outer Rim Beacon. Ladies and gentlemen, you have now tuned into the Outer Rim Beacon, your frequency for everything in that galaxy far, far away. Um, just like, you know, season one of The Mandalorian, it's me by myself here today. <laughs> just all alone, one man army. I'm Justin, I'm one of the hosts here. And I normally would say joining me today are my co-hosts, but guess what? I don't have any co-hosts. This is amazing because... Normally, if it's not me here, it's Josh and Kyle on here, just, you know, ripping me up, poking fun. Well, guess what? The shoe's on the other foot now. It's me by myself. I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do that. Um, it is me by myself, though, and uh we've we do have a lot to cover because we have a full season finale of um Mandalorian to cover. But uh, you know, Kyle is uh traveling for work this past week, and um, so he couldn't be here, and Josh is Slammed with his work. And sometimes, you know, real life gets in the way of, of uh, what we really want to do. And that's just sit around and talk Star Wars or do Star Wars things. So they are not able to join. So it's me, myself, and I. And hopefully I can keep you all entertained for uh, a good length of time. But we'll see. This could be like a really great episode. This could be a terrible episode. I don't know. We'll see. Well, let's, um, let's dive into a little bit of news and notes. Uh, there really isn't a lot going on right now, which is kind of crazy considering May 4th is right around the corner and we don't really have a lot of news or a lot of any, you know, word of anything that's going on, Uh, probably the biggest thing that's going to be out there for your viewing, listening pleasure would be Star Wars Visions, which will be starting up uh, May 4th, I believe. Um, So tune into that. Um, There's no word yet on Star Wars Celebration Japan tickets, but I imagine those will go up for sale probably you'll get a, an announcement probably pretty soon. I think in the past, it's normally been within, you know, a month or two of celebration ending that they announced when the date would be for them to go up in sale. And I think in the past, it's been June or July, maybe, maybe even May uh, that they've gone up for sale. Now, that could be different this year, considering it's not until 2025. Um, but I don't know. We, you know, I it could be I, I really don't know. Like who wants to buy a ticket now and be sitting on it for about a year and a half. Sounds kind of crazy, but it's entirely possible. So, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully there's an, an announcement as to a ticket date, you know, ticket for sale date coming out. I'm still kind of on the fence as to whether I want to go or not, but um I don't know. I I you know, I I took uh, about 5 years of of Japanese through high school and college and I still like to practice it from time to time when I can. I don't find much use for it in my everyday, uh, <laughs> everyday usage, but um, I, I do like to practice it. And I, I do. I still have, actually, crazy as it sounds, my books from high school that you know basically taught me. So I don't know if I'm going to go yet or not, but feels like a, a good real world application of of my teachings in school. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> something else that you may want to be on the lookout for pretty soon is possibly remaining Star Wars Celebration Europe merch to be announced. Uh normally about a month or two after Celebration they do invent well over that time they do an inventory of what didn't sell or what they have left or maybe what was returned um and then they catalog that, they inventory it and then they put it up for sale online. And there's usually a release date for those, so be on the lookout for that um, like they'll usually give you a day and time to log in. I don't know if they do something different for if you were a ticket holder and you get like an early shop online thing, you know, post con, I don't know. Um, post celebration, I don't know, but we'll have to see so but I would guess it's probably going to be within a month or two here that any remaining merch is is posted cuz they got a lot to plan for for 2025 and they've got about a year and a half to do it. So We'll see what they come up with and uh, and we'll see what they, they do here with the remainder. So uh, speaking of May 4th, uh, there's normally a lot that's going on in your local communities for May 4th. Uh, if you check out your local public libraries or even your, um, some places have parades, uh, some places do just various events at bars, um, it could be a number of different things, but Check your area. There's normally a lot of events uh, going on for May 4th, especially for kids. Um, there are a lot of times representation from 501st, Rebel Legion, and Mando Mercs in attendance as well. Um, so be sure to check out the costuming clubs that are there. Um, as always, if you're ever interested in uh, 501st or Rebel Legion, I I am a member of both. I haven't really done anything with my my Jedi outfit for Rebel Legion, but I do actively participate in 501st stuff. Um, it's a little harder when you have a toddler to do that, but uh, I don't get to do as many events as I like, but I am active in the 501st. And if anybody ever has any questions on costuming, um, either I can answer those questions or I can put you in touch with somebody that can answer those questions if you would like to be a part of that. But go check out those organizations. They're fun organizations, great group of individuals that get together and share their love of Star Wars and costuming. And it really does allow you to kind of put yourself in a different mindset um, as, you know, a Mando or a Jedi or, or a Stormtrooper or whatever you want to be. And get out there, check out those organizations. And it's great for kids. The kids absolutely love it. Shoot, adults absolutely love it too. Um, you'd be amazed at how many pictures, um, you know, before an event even starts, where, uh, host staff will ask to get a picture with you or the group picture or whatever it is, um, just because they're in awe of the costumes and the kits that you put together. So get out there, check them out. Oh, and, and be sure to throw money their way. Um, all the money goes to charity. Charity is usually make a wish foundation. Um, but the, at different events, it can be a, a, a couple different charities. So, um, you know, be sure to check that out um, you know, throw a couple bucks in there. It all goes to a good cause. Um, you know, we're not doing anything but donating time and energy. Um, and we love to do it. So send some appreciation their way and help us to raise awareness for those charities and get money to the kids. But no, you know, I'm actually going to be in Disney, uh, next week. Um, and hopefully on Batu for May 4th. It is booked packed. Uh, I tried to get a reservation for Ogas, but it is absolutely booked solid on May 4th and I cannot get in. So, um, but I'm looking forward to it. The one thing I would say that I really haven't seen a lot of is any kind of merch from Disney on May 4th. I've seen a few t-shirts that are kind of 90s retro vibe shirts or apparel, but nothing outside of that. So I don't, I don't really know if they're waiting another week or if something's going to drop this weekend or what, but I really haven't seen anything regarding exclusive pins for May 4th, exclusive shirts for May 4th. Um, Supposedly, rumor mill is, is the fan vote saber for Doc Ondar's, which the fan vote uh, favorite was the young Caleb Doom saber. And if Josh was here, he'd be going, Ooh, we're talking about caleb doom and i don't do it as good as he does but hey yeah so caleb doom would be the saber of choice but supposedly there's another one out there that um people are rumored that a yoda one could pop up um you know very similar to what was in the mandalorian with uh luke and grogu where he's you know got the little box and it's yoda's saber that he's Handing down to him. So I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I'm really hoping they drop that Caleb Doom Saber because I will pick that one up. Um, it is a good looking set. Sa- hopefully it detaches like it does uh, in Rebels, but we'll see. So be on the lookout for that. Uh keep your eyes open and uh let's hope for some good stuff because uh hey, May 4th is right around the corner, and it's a, a big day for Star Wars fans, as you know. Well, let's dive into this. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Mandalorian. Um, we had a very interesting uh, series finale here. Oh, I said series. I meant season. Season finale. Uh, <laughs> it felt like a series finale, the way that they kind of buttoned everything up at the end. But really, this was just supposed to be the season finale. And, and you know, you guys know we... Kyle and Kyle and Maggie and Josh and I we have a, like a, a separate group chat and we we discuss in the chats that um kind of just musings and thoughts of you know what we see when we watch it and the over I think the overwhelming feeling was like there's no cliffhanger at the end of this episode there was nothing for me to go what's going to happen next season there's no big cliffhanger um you know at least at the end of bad batch you could say there was some huge cliffhangers at the end of Bad Batch. But here, there was nothing. I mean, they buttoned it up nice and it made it seem like, oh, everything is all well and good. And how are we going to dive back into season four of this? And how are we going to bring, uh, what are, where are we going to see our characters uh, in season four of Mandalorian? But let's start with uh, a little bit of the details. Uh, this is Mandalorian season three, episode eight, titled The Return Uh, directed by rick famuyiwa writer was john favreau cast consisted of everyone that we've already seen for the most part through mandalorian um no big surprises no special guest stars nothing to that effect um which was really surprising um i'm not gonna lie i was kind of a little disappointed that we didn't get something um at the end there and i i think um you know, in the last episode when Kyle and, and Josh were discussing the spies, um, when the 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 what it, Kyle called them Mad Max Mandalorians, when they kind of showed up on their skiff and you hear one of them kind of call out, is that Lady Bo-Katan or is that the voice of Lady Bo-Katan? And Josh had said, well, I was kind of hoping it was somebody we maybe already knew. And I couldn't agree more. A Fen Rao in there would have been great, although at this point he's gotta be um, you know, getting 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 on in years, kinda like myself. But um, yeah, it would have been kind of cool if he'd have just shown up and we had a live-action Fen Rao that jumped into the fray and um, you know, helped out somewhere. And and really the the title of the last episode, The Spies, seemed very like, it was going to be more than one, and the only one that we had was Katie O'Brien's character, Elia Kane, in the very beginning talking to the probe droid. You know, there were plenty of opportunities where it seemed um, Axe Woves could have been the spy since he, like, jetted out of there super fast through that hole. Um, or it could have been the armor, since she made it seem, oh, I got to take these injured Mandos back up to the ship. I'll be back later. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it could have been them. It could have been... Uh, it could have been Paz, but obviously Paz, you know, sacrificed himself for the the rest of the crew. Uh, you know, so it kind of left this like, why was that a this question of why was that episode called Spies when there was only one in reality that was out there, unless they're talking about Eli Kane and the Probe Droid. So, um, and they definitely set it up where you know if Axe Woves had gone back up to the light cruiser. And told all those mandos to jump in the you know jump in the drop ships the gauntlets and then turned and opened fire on them. I wouldn't have been surprised. It would have been like oh he was the spy the whole time, you know. And it would have made it would have fit. It would have made sense. um You know, Axe maybe felt more comfortable in his role as a bounty hunter or maybe working for the Empire or turned turned coat like uh, like uh, the Saxons did, um, but we got none of that. So it was very, um, seemed kind of like a pointless, uh, or a dead end, uh, lead, I guess you could say. So, um, I did want to give a shout out real quick too. um, we did get a, an email from, uh, our good friend, Scott, longtime listener, caffeinated diabetic. Um, he had several musings on th- this episode being end of Mandalorian, um and I, I just I went through and I kind of picked a couple of them out. Um, you know, he he one good point was he brought up the guards uh in the force field area uh that led to Gideon's uh location and where he was hiding out. And and here here you have these Beskar Mandalorians that are in between these force fields standing on platforms that have giant gaping holes behind them. And in Star Wars is known for not putting in guardrails. Um all over the place at least the Imperials they don't put guard they don't believe in safety they cut corners everywhere Um, but these dudes are, are guards on this platform with shields um, essentially night sticks and no jet pack but a giant hole in the floor behind them Um, and that seems like it could have been remedied very easily if they had just been given jet packs and, and to his point yes it was very dumb but again the Empire likes to cut corners so it kind of made sense um, you know, another point that he had brought up, uh, the Darksaber, um, in this episode, kind of, a lot of things kind of fall by the wayside in this episode, Grogu being one of them, the Darksaber being the second one, in my opinion. And at one point, uh, at one point, um, Gideon asks for the Darksaber back from Bo, uh, in their epic battle and then he ends up crushing it and just breaking it like he didn't care about it but clearly um, there was a time where he did care about it and that was his whole thing was I'm going to rule Mandalore and I'm going to be I'm going to be the big boss and, and he just crushes it and then he calls it a trinket um, and I actually have I actually have that audio here let me uh, let me play a little bit of that clash hand over the dark saber and I'll give you a warrior's death <laughs> Pissed. Love the music, though. And there he crushes it and her hand. The dark saber is gone. You've lost everything. Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. Mandalorians are stronger together. And I, I love that conversation. I love that dialogue. It brings home, it brings home, uh, it, it brings us a full 360 degrees back to Bo Katan. Going, you know, I need the dark saber to rule Mandalore, and now she's on. She knows she doesn't need it anymore. Um, it is it's an idea. It's just literally that it's a, an icon or a trinket. Um, But the ideals of the Mandalorian live in all Mandalorians and they don't need that to be successful or to have a ruler or to do the right thing and to be one people. And it was just a little odd because he does crush it. And all of a sudden he doesn't care about it. When in the beginning he asked it for it back and said, well, I'll give you a warrior's death if you give it back to me. Um, and there was a time where you know he wanted the dark saber back badly, much like he wanted grogu back uh, <laughs> to help him complete his cloning project, which I'll get to in a minute. but um, the third thing that he had brought out uh, brought up was the Axe Wolves crashing. I just wanted to make make a note of this one because I thought this was a great idea. Um, he brought brought up uh, the point of ax Woves crashing the light cruiser into the planet right to destroy the base. And it would have been a, a really impact, I, I agree, it would have been a really impactful visual if they had showed the bo- shown the bottom side of the ship with that mythosaur skull on it, ramming into the Imperial base uh, in that scene. And that sh- would have been huge. I think that would have been... Um, an epic scene one to, to definitely remember, uh, from this episode and this, this season of Mandalorian. But yes, it was a great idea. Um, again, thank you, Scott, uh, for sending in your email. I, we, we do read them. We do appreciate them. So if anybody out there wants to send us an email or, or give us comments or whatever you want to do, um, outer beacon at gmail.com. You can hit us up anytime. We're happy to read through them and, and talk about what you send in. It's great stuff. So Anyway, well, I'm going to dive into a couple notes here. I'm not going to break down the whole episode because, like I said, it was more of a, it seemed to me more of a season finale or a, 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 yeah, a series finale than a season finale, uh, the way that they buttoned up. And I walked out of this episode, actually, I think, with probably more questions about this episode, and the one prior to it, than I did anything else. You know, last episode, they teased Thrawn a little bit. Um, did I expect to see Thrawn in this episode when they just showed him for the trailer for Ahsoka. Not necessarily, um, you know, uh, a communication could have been cool. Like some kind of, uh, you know, communication to the group or something like that. The shadow council coming back again would have been cool too. Like, Hey, uh, you know, at the end of this episode, if you see them meeting again and they discuss Moff Gideon's failure and this is why, we can't go alone we've got to wait for Thrawn's return and blah 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 and like maybe it reunites them to fall under uh the chimera the chimera logo or icon for the new empire and they rally behind Thrawn and this would have been why I think that could have been cool if they'd added the shadow council back in there again and they didn't but again some of the questions that popped up in my head, you know, other than Katie O'Brien's character, there was no other ep- spy in the episode of Spies, um, which again didn't get touched on in this episode. So that seemed like a open ended title. Um, I my biggest question was how did Grogu get to Mando when he was walled off with the rest of the Mandos, Bo and Axe, or Bo and and Costca uh, and the rest of those Mandos in that room, and had to crawl through the hole, and then all of a sudden. You know, he finds Mando in the hallway with only two guards on him, which made zero sense when it took four of them to contain him initially. Um it, it Grogu just comes up out of nowhere behind him like he found him. And I, I get it. He can wield the force, he can sense where people are at. Um, but it just seemed odd that there was kind of this big separation in like Bo and none of the other Mando's felt it, or like did he just go off on his own and go down a separate tunnel? Um not sure if I missed a scene in there or something. I've watched this episode three times now. Uh, and I don't think I missed anything, but it just was odd. Like he showed up out of nowhere. So it seemed a little um, lackadaisical, I guess, in the writing that that all of a sudden here's Grogu to save the day and help him out. Now, I did I did enjoy the back to spray that he started to, <laughs> to shoot in Din's face afterwards, very similar to what we saw um, IG-11 doing when he's spraying um, Din with the Bacta in uh, end of season one. Um, so I did enjoy that. Um, you know, another question I had the dark saber um, in and of itself, it, there was one quick scene where uh bow is flying with the jet pack in the battle in space or the battle through the hangar. And, she stabs one of the Imperial Super Commandos, I guess is what they're, we're calling them. She stabs one of the Imperial Super Commandos right through the chest. And the thing goes through the quote unquote Beskar armor like a, a hot knife through butter. But yet, when she's fighting Gideon, it doesn't do anything to Gideon. None of the blaster bolts on the Imperial Super Commandos did anything. Um, you know, Beskar also held up fairly well against Ahsoka's saber the spear um that uh that um Thrawn's, i can't remember her name Thron's this is see this is why i need josh here because he would have been googling this or he'd already know um but Thron's apprentice or helper or whoever she is that had the beskar spear held up very well against Ahsoka's sabers it burned a little bit but it didn't cut through it um you know and again when when mando and gideon fight And Gideon has the dark saber and Mando has the spirit holds up very well. So I guess I'm confused as to did the super commandos have legit Beskar armor or did they have like some watered down version of Beskar armor that didn't hold up as well against Uh, the likes of the dark saber or potentially a Jedi weapon or something like that. So it just, the inconsistency there seemed odd to me. And I don't know if that's the same way with anybody else, but, um, and then one of my other big questions was what happened to the big fleet of ties and bombers that took out the Imperial light cruiser? Uh, Are we to just assume that they took each other out and they're all gone Did they look at it and go look this dude's crashing his ship into the base Uh, I think we've lost we should just cut our losses and get out of here I get it a little bit you know where we see the drop ships and the mandos going through the clouds in that atmosphere that's you know really stormy and bumpy and they were kind of going through at the same time so we didn't They didn't see each other, right? The interceptors and the bombers didn't see the gauntlets and the um, smaller starfighters cutting through. But it just seemed like, okay, we made this, you know, we started with this space battle where um, Axe is able to take out, you know, a handful of the ties and they start to do some serious damage on the ship, on his ship. But then that's it, they're just gone after that um did I mean did they take each other out? Did they just bolt and leave? I'm not really sure what happened there, so that's again another question that seemed a, a little unanswered, but not in the over in the overarching um show it didn't impact anything, so it was a little a little weird so uh loved the battle love that huge battle between these super commandos and uh the mandos um I think you can kind of tell that the, I'm going to call them ISCs were not Mandalorian. They don't fight as well. They weren't, um, while they are trained, they, they don't know the tactics and the techniques and things. I think that a lot of those Mandos learn, um, through the course of their training, but that battle was epic. I thought all of the fight scenes were pretty well choreographed. Um, you know, I love the, the Mando against the Praetorian guards where uh, I think one of them, he, he shoots it in the, he shoots him in the foot or he shoots the guard in the foot and he drops down and then he pops him up under the chin with the blaster and kills that one. And there's another scene where uh, Mando is in the hallway with the two super commandos that are guarding him and he gets into the fight with them. He literally picks one of them up, uh, I think from behind, but uses kind of the weight of the Beskar armor, to like lift him up and slam him back down, but in an odd way where it snaps the Commando's neck. And it was just kind of a, um, you could tell they were not as well-trained in hand-to-hand combat as Din or Bo or any of these other Mandalorians are, including the armor, because the armor just straight up wrecked people with her hammer and pliers or or whatever those were. Um, but I thought all the fight scenes were, choreographed really really well i was a little sad that uh ig12 or krang and his cyborg robot did not live very long um i would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that ig12 with the yes no buttons i thought that was hilarious it's cute um and those that you know watch for grogu and mando i think probably loved that um And to be honest, I did not mind the Praetorian Guards at all. The outfits looked great. Um, They are super effective against uh, tired Mandos, apparently, because they didn't have any trouble dispatching Paz after he had spent all his ammo and was exhausted and almost dispatched uh, Din uh, the first time up until Grogu interceded. But uh once he kind of rejuvenated and went to go help grogu at the end there uh he was he was a man on a mission uh, and if you've ever seen I'm going to uh, man on fire with uh uh Denzel um it is a great movie and the dude dude wrecks people in that movie so um but I li- I liked the look of them. I liked, you know, we're seeing the transition between the First Order or between the Empire and the First Order and I think that's important. You know, you're starting to fill those gaps in between what happened at uh into the Empire to um to uh the video games um you know when you get into squadrons, when you get into alphabet squadron, um, you're now seeing like this is a a full on transition and um, even aftermath um, a little bit, like we're, we're kind of tying in all of those novels um, in history into visual uh, representation. And we're starting to, to get it tied into the first order. I think you saw a little bit of it too in resistance. It was very early on, but the first order at that point had already been, established they just were not in this region of where resistance takes place so um i think the the biggest thing that i would say uh that it was a little bit of a disappointment with with this with this season was the cloning pot cloning plot for moff gideon seemed weak seemed it seemed like a weak ending when we had been wondering about it for three seasons um you know in season 1 and 2 he was so obsessed with getting grogu back to finish his research but yet here he see, he doesn't he he's apparently finished it even without grogu to begin with um you know he had grogu there right in front of him and didn't even care about him his whole goal at that point was just wipe out the mandalorians but in season 1 and season 2 he was intent on getting grogu back intent on getting the dark saber Um, all of those things, and here we come to find out he was able to complete his cloning project without Groku. Now, do I believe that he was able to replicate it and his clones would have worked and could have used the Force or whatever else? I don't know. Um, I can't answer that question. Um, But it just seemed like, wait a minute, wait, it seemed like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This dude has figured this out without Grogu has made these perfect clones that look exactly like him, um, that apparently can wield the force. But yet, you know, when we get to rise of Skywalker, um, we get the, in, in that whole sequel trilogy, we get this one clone that apparent of the emperor who apparently can wield the force, but is, is, oddly misshapen. i don't know it's it's like a terrible representation clone of the emperor so it, it just to me seemed odd like oh, this dude's got perfect clones of himself gonna be wearing dark armor and wielding the force and i get it that's the whole premise of dark troopers and and at one point when they were organic that was kind of the idea but it just seemed cut short here um i almost would have left it i think i would have preferred they leave it to where you know, they found just more vats of his clones and he was close, or maybe he was trying to still get Grogu, I don't know. It just seemed like that whole, I need Grogu to finish this got dropped. Um, or maybe Dr. Pershing finishes re- finished his research. I don't know, maybe he did. Um, you know, uh, Here's, a, I'm gonna play this little clip. Uh, this is um, Gideon to Mando on his clones, kind of talking about his clones. My clones were finally going to be perfect. The best parts of me, but improved by adding the one thing I never had. The Force. I was isolating the potential to wield the Force and incorporating it into an unstoppable army. And you smothered them. Before they could draw their first breath. So, again, he, he's isolating the formula to be able to wield the force. So, essentially, we're saying he's studying midichlorians. He's, he's figured out that the amount of midichlorians dictates maybe one's ability to wield or control the force. I don't know. Um it it just seemed odd to me like it, it got i hate to say it it essentially got reduced the force got reduced to a super serum a super soldier serum um you know like cap or um uh, red skull or, or one of those guys and i don't i hate to think of it that way and i i, I get it like you want to clone people that can wield the force by putting force user genes in it totally understand that. And I, th- but I think that's part of like the whole mystique of the cloning game, right? Is like, it's the force. It dictates what it wants to do. It's a livi- it's a living thing and it can flow through things. And just because you take your blood or DNA and you stick it into a clone of something else doesn't mean it's going to work. And I think that's, part of the problem I had with it was because here it seems like he had it to work in all of those clones and it was going to be great. I don't know. Um, that was just my take on it. Um, you know, we started, uh, we started the season where we ended it with uh Ragnar <laughs> taking his creed in the water. Um, this time he did not get attacked by a giant crocodile. So good on them. Um, <laughs> They finally found a watering hole that's a little bit safer, even though there's a giant mythosaur at the bottom of it. Um, but I did love that Grogu could feel the mythosaur underneath the water, because clearly one of his abilities is that he can communicate with, um, with nature, with animals. So, um, But I did love this last little bit of um, dialogue between Din Djarin and the armorer with Grogu on his training. Grogu is my apprentice He is no longer a foundling Add him to the song He is too young to speak So he is too young To take the creed He must remain a foundling Bummer dude And Grogu's all sad If his parent gave permission Couldn't he then become a Mandalorian apprentice Yes but his parents are far from here, if they are even alive. Now Let's make Grogu feel even worse. <laughs> then I will adopt him as my own. This is the way. This is the way. Let it be written in song that Din Djarin is accepting this foundling as his son. You are now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. This is the way. You must leave Mandalore and take your apprentice on his journeys, just as your teacher did for you. This is the way. This is the way. So, you know, it's official now. Daddy Din and baby. Baby Grogu, our our father, and adopted son. Um it, the naming convention was a little interesting because it's Din Jaren and Din Grogu, which almost feels like um, you know, the the surname is first, whereas the first name is second. So that would make him Jaren Din if you were looking at it first name, last name, and Grogu Din, I guess. I don't know. That seemed a little weird where everybody else is, you know, Bo Katan Paz Vizla. Um, you know, Shea Vizsla, you've got pre Vizsla, you've got, um, so the naming convention seemed a little weird there. I don't understand that, but (coughs) excuse me, I'm sure there's an explanation for it, but it was a nice, uh, nice way to wrap up the end of this season. And then obviously, uh, Din goes back to the pilot hangar on that planet to talk to Carson Teva about some work, doing some work for, uh, the new Republic. And uh, basically saying, hey, look, man, I got to make some money, but I got to be a little more selective with my bounties here. So, you know, if you're looking for Imperial Remnants, you know, please feel free to loop me in, which is very interesting because obviously if they get word that Thrawn's coming back in Ahsoka, hey, buddy, we need your help here. I need you to go take this guy out, which kind of sends us down that path to uh, Mando, Ahsoka, Ahsoka. And all of these live action shows kind of leading towards uh, that movie that they announced. So that'll be exciting. That Mando movie with that Dave's directing. So that'll be exciting. So um, overall, though. Uh, oh, and I forgot. Grief Karga gets his new marshal. IG Eleven is back um, with a fun new paint job that matches the that matches High Magistrate Karga's. Uh, outfit so good for him and then Din and Grogu have a nice little cabin on the outskirts of Navarro um, to kind of settle down and play with frogs so again I, you know a nice buttoned up ending and if this was a series finale I would have been like sure I, I accept it it's great but this was supposed to be a season finale I have no cliffhanger for next next, ser- next uh next season um, so they're going to have to find a way to bring Din and um, Grogu out of that comfy um, cabin in in the remote parts of Navarro um, and see what they're going to do. And I, I don't part of me doesn't expect to see a lot of the rest of the Mandalorians. I could see maybe Lupin. Uh, Boba Fett back in somewhere in there. I could see bringing Migs Mayfeld back in there somewhere in the next season. But I think it's got to, as a show. I think it has to return to its core in season one and in in mostly season two, which is the story of Din and Grogu. Um, because let's be honest, this season was all about the Mandalorians and the return to Mandalore. And I, I'm just going to put this out there because looking at this objectively um, this season's ratings and you can find this on IMDb it's it's out there um, this season's ratings um, had zero episodes crack the nine stars ratings and in most cases they were around eight or less Um, in fact the one I think two episodes ago with um, Captain Bombardier With the Jack Black and the Lizzo, um, that one was like at a 6.3. And I absolutely enjoyed that episode um, because it was bananas. But this season had zero episodes crack a nine stars rating on IMDb. Season two, they cracked the nine stars three times, um, with the highest episode of any season being The Rescue at a 9.8. Now, you know, obviously. And that's in large part to Luke and R2 coming in at the end. And it was a great episode, super fun. Um, But that was the highest one. They did it three times in season two. Um, In season one, they cracked nine stars two times. And I think a big part of that, and this is just my take on it. I don't know what the other guys think, but um, this season centered largely around the Mandalorians and reclaiming their home world of Mandalore which I think is a challenge for a casual viewer because a lot of what is told to us about Mandalorians and about Mandalore is told through Clone Wars and Rebels and a lot of the older novels, not a lot of the new stuff, not the movies, not anything else. So for casual viewers who only watched the show for Din and Grogu to see what happens to them, I think this whole season was kind of a miss for them. You know what I mean? They want to see the adventures of Din and Grogu and see them going through um adventures that maybe tie them into some of the stuff that happened in the original trilogy or even in Din's case maybe what happened back in Clone Wars regarding his youth and what happened with the battle droids and the Separatists. Um so I think that's where they may have lost a little bit of the viewership. I know um you know, for for the casual fan, again, if they haven't watched Clone Wars or Mandalore, they don't know a lot about this history. They don't know a lot about um, all this other stuff that go that goes on. And and to be honest, if you're going, hey, well, you guys should go watch this stuff. There's a lot of people that don't want to watch cartoons, and there's a lot of people that don't want to watch um, or go out and read the books. And and again, I love all this stuff. I it, I check it out. If it's star- got to do with Star Wars, I'll watch it. I'll read it. Um, But there's a lot of people out there that won't. And I think that's part of the reason why some of those ratings dropped a little bit. um, Because they weren't really concerned with what was going on with the Mandalorians and Mandalore. They just want to see Din and Grogu going on adventure space adventures and doing cool stuff. Um, So we'll have to see what they do next season to maybe pull some of that viewership back in. So... That was about all I had for this episode. Um, I did have a couple remaining questions for the guys, and, and I'm gonna open this up to everybody. And and if you want, feel free. You can message us again, outerimbeacon at gmail.com. You can send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Outerim Beacon. Um, but some of the questions I had was uh, do we think this is the do we think Moff Gideon is really dead? Um, you know, was that, or was that one of his clones that he was testing maybe? And it really wasn't, uh, wasn't Moff Gideon at all. Um, a big, a big question that we all want to know that's, that's really, um, the crux of this episode is what happened to his mustache? Um, you know, season one and two, we had a great mustache, uh, on Moff Gideon and it was gone here. So, I, maybe the new, the new Republic made him shave it for his trial. I don't know, but he definitely didn't have a mustache anymore. So maybe this was one of his clones that he was testing and it's not really Moff Gideon at all. But again, I can't imagine, you know, we get to season four and we do this exact same thing again. Cause let's be real. It's the end of season one, season two and season three. It's been, you know, Din and Din and Grogu adventures until we hit those last two episodes and Moff Gideon shows up, and we've done that three times now. So are we really going to do that for a fourth season? I I can't believe they would do that. So, um, you know, another question: How long uh, before the Mandos start infighting again, or do we think that the matter is now resolved? Now that the Dark is no more, um, you know, there's not really any um, jockeying back and forth for power uh at this point there's no dark saber to fight over um unless one of them figures out how to repair it or the armorer can fix it but um i think there was a lot of um mystique and lore around the dark saber so i think it's a little bit harder to solve than just you know putting it to the fire and forging it again and it was forged in beskar armor which was another thing how was how was he able to crush it so easily um in his hand <laughs> when it's made of pure beskar or supposedly made of Beskar so um, and then the third question I had was where do we go with Dinjar and Din grogu now like what are we you know he's not training with Luke um, he's you know in the pond playing with the frogs again um, he didn't eat it this time, so that's a good thing that's a win um, but where do we go? How do we get them engaged back into the fold again. And I, I know Din said he's, you know, going to be taking jobs for the new Republic and I could easily see, you know, he decides to take one of those jobs and it leads him down a path of, you know, something a little bit more complex that he wasn't quite ready for. But, um, you know, there has to be something that furthers the story and where are we going to go with Grogu? Um, so I don't know. I I think it'll be interesting to see how they open season four. And that's really going to, I think that's honestly going to set a big tone for season four and what they do. So we'll have to have to wait and see what they do. So just a a couple of my questions and musings and, um, you know, obviously feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to answer questions and, um, and we'll, we'll respond to you. I I emailed Scott back and said, uh, I truly appreciate, uh, him reaching out, you know, and, uh, you know, again, you can message us, you can send us an email, whatever you want to do. So, well that was all I had for season 3 episode 8 of The Mandalorian. Um super fun to watch. I enjoyed watching it. Like still had questions. Maybe overcomplicated it in my head, but uh I'm I'm pretty positive some of the guys um had the same questions I think that I did. So we'll have to uh have to get their take on it when we reconvene next week. So with that, I think I'm gonna wrap this thing up and get out of here. You're all clear kid, now let's blow this thing and go home. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to me ramble for about an hour. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode and I didn't bore you guys for 45 minutes or so. Um, but uh, I do appreciate it. I love talking Star Wars. So anytime I get the opportunity to do it, I'm happy to do it. Um, anyway, get a you can find Outer Rim Beacon anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this one, you're listening to a podcast somewhere. So take a second rate like subscribe do all those things um share them with share us with family and friends we'd love to have them as listeners we've got longtime listeners out there we love getting new listeners we love getting everybody's takes because again everybody's takes on star wars are different some people love the stuff some people hate the stuff i always say put it this way there's got to be something that you enjoy in Star Wars and every bit of Star Wars whether you liked a movie or didn't like a movie or a show or whatever it is there's got to be something that you enjoyed so appreciate it and enjoy it because it's always more Star Wars which is the best part Um, again you can find us uh, Outer and Beacon anywhere on the social medias you can email us Outer and Beacon at gmail.com my name is Justin you can find me on Twitter at I am the Bendu Uh, outside of that it's been great it's been fun. Get out there, do something Star Warsy, and as always, may the force be with you. I hope you like some creations. Take a little sip sip. Come, please.